All right, and welcome to the Rory's Nitro podcast, the show that rips up the buy rates and TV ratings and declares our own winner in some of pro wrestling's biggest head-to-head battles. I'm your host, Lee Carlos Cunningham, joined once again by Duncan Joyce from the Them Now Whatever podcast. How's it going, Duncan? Hello, Lee. Hello, everyone. Glad to be back. Yeah, it's been. A, it seems like it's been a little while now, but um, a couple of good shows to come back to at least. There's some interesting talking points here, yeah. I'll give you that. <laughs> I think I maybe might be more positive than you for once. <laughs> <laughs> well, my cynicism playing in here. Well, the shows we're on, uh, we have the night after WrestleMania, which traditionally is a big show particularly in later years, uh, which is coming to us from the United States Airways Center in Phoenix, Arizona, and drew a 3.6 uh, TV rating up against Impact, which, of course, is coming from the Impact Zone as usual, and drew a 0.9. So the ratings were very, very one-sided. Oh, boy. Yeah. Oh, they've, they've sort of dipped below the typical 1.1 now. Yeah, so Raw actually was three and a half times the rating, plus a bit, probably. That's sort of a... Pretty monumental defeat there now. Yeah, man, they, they kill for a 3.6 now, man. Yeah, absolutely. And I was reading, going back over um, some research for these shows, that apparently that was a disappointing number back then as well. Oh, oh wow. <laughs> apparently they were expecting to be in the fours the night after WrestleMania with um, Shawn Michaels' retirement send-off and whatnot. Okay. Yeah, they definitely killed for something in the fours now. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, I tried to watch Raw yesterday, and I just, I really still struggle with it. It's, I think it's the promos, they just kill me. Like, it's so, the action's great, the wrestling's fine. I mean, it's predictable, but it's fine. But just the way they talk, I just, I watched a segment with Alexa Bliss and Nia Jax going to give chicken soup to Enzo, and I just couldn't. (laughs) Uh, I've been meaning to check out the Roman and Joe match. That's the only thing on the show that took my notice from the reviews and stuff. But I'm just so behind on what's been on Raw and SmackDown now that I'm probably up to the point where there's stuff on the network Raw and SmackDown that I've not seen. Like, you know, you have to wait 30 days because they deal with Hulu. There's definitely stuff on there I've not seen. (laughs) Yeah, because I've not seen uh, when AJ won the title in Manchester yet. Yeah, I watched that. I quite enjoyed that. It's good to have AJ back with the belt. And of course, I'm looking forward to both Royal Rumble matches and have the day off work. So there's some good positive stuff coming up. Oh, lovely. Yeah. So which show did you watch first? I watched Raw first. As did I. So we're in sync. Should we head over and check out what Raw's got to offer? Yeah, let's have a gander. I think I'm cute. I know I'm sexy. I've got the looks. So Raw opens up with a video package of the Undertaker-Shawn Michaels match from WrestleMania before going to the usual Raw open of the time, some pyro, and we go to our commentary team of Jerry Lawler and Michael Cole. We get told that later on in the show, there'll be a Shawn Michaels farewell, so some very good drawing out for ratings tactics starting early. 
And then we open up with Batista coming out for a promo. And just a quick side note here. I've just what was first watching this, and I think I got started in a good mood straight away because how amazing is Batista's WWE theme? I just love it. Did you spot? I've loved his entrance here. So he calls for his spotlight, and they don't do it on time, and he gives out a bit. Yes, I did. It was brilliant. He is such a great petulant heel. Um, I heard a rumour that he might be on the way back for another run soon as well. That could be interesting. I've heard little inklings that... So John Cena supposedly got an opponent lined up at WrestleMania, and according to Dave Meltzer, it's a bigger star than AJ Styles. Okay. So people seem to be pairing him and Dave together in their heads now, from the sounds of it. I'm going to go out on a limb and say it's Hogan. (laughs) (laughs) we'll see (laughs) so Batista cuts a really good promo underneath the spotlight Um, basically says that he's lost to John Cena was a blip on the radar a fluke as the crowd bait him with chance of you tapped out and this brings out John Cena to revel and gloat in the fact that he's finally beaten Batista he's made him tap out and he says that Well, he basically tries to goad Batista into using his rematch clause tonight but Batista's having none of it um makes out like he's going to take the match and then backs out like the great heel that he is. Mm, yeah, see, this whole argument is, it's, it's, the, it's the Raw HBK's retiring. Everyone's going to remember this Raw forever. You know, let's let's have our rematch now. We'll be remembered forever. And Like, you, you, you're John Cena and Batista, you know, people already know who you are, mate, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's not going to add too much to your legacy, I wouldn't imagine. But someone that is keen on a title match is Jack Swagger. Previous night's Money in the Bank briefcase winner. Comes out from behind, nails John Cena with the case, puts on a pretty solid beatdown, calls out a referee who's not the quickest to come out. But before he gets down there, Cena has hulked up, come back to life, and Swagger changes his mind and says he'll have none of it tonight. Mm. Yeah, as much as I like Batista, this segment was a bit lame for me. Because he had them teased two far more interesting things happening than actually happened. Yeah, I'll give you that. Um, I didn't think it was a great start to Swagger holding the briefcase, already backing down to Cena. Like, I get the heel thing to do is to, you know, come out when they're inopportune and back away if, you, if it's not going to suit you. But he nailed him from behind with the briefcase. How could he not keep control for two minutes for a referee to get out? <laughs> This is a massive crutch they've used for heel money in the bank winners. Like, oh, I'm going to cash in, I'm going to cash in. No, no, I didn't mean it, I didn't mean it. Yeah, I know. That kind of thing. It it wasn't great. No. Did you spot there was a sign in the crowd uh, saying, just married? No, I didn't. Congratulations. Yeah, newly went. And I do wonder, are you still together? (laughs) Yeah, well, who knows? I I don't know how long marriages are supposed to last on average now, but seven years would be good going. Hell Yeah. If you, if you listen to the show, get in touch. <laughs> yeah. Um, from there, we get a bit of a... This is a theme of the night. We get a lot of flashback videos, retrospectives on Shawn Michaels' career. And the first one is of the Rockers, which I quite enjoyed. I still have my uh, Rockers action figures that I got from a random Comic-Con in Stockport. Very nice. I think I, think I might have... I, I'm no, I've definitely got the Mattel Rockers, but I think I might have the Hasbro ones as well somewhere. So, definitely big Rockers fan, me. I absentmindedly walked into my local toy store for the check out what they had in the sales, and they had uh, 
in, individually, but they have the Elite of the Heart Foundation. Oh, yeah, yeah. Very uh, cool figures. Brett, Brett in one set and Jim in the other. And yeah, it did look pretty cool. I've got to put some photos up of my figure collection very soon. I've now got three of the IKEA Detolf um, glass shelving units all chocked to the brim with figures. And they they all Lovely. yeah, and they all have uh, replica titles on top. So I've gone a bit nuts this year. <laughs> Did you get any more Christmas? Then? Yes, I got a undisputed title from my lovely wife a couple of weeks before Christmas, and my daughter bought me the Apollo Crews Mattel Elite figure for Christmas. So pretty added straight into my NXT shelf, and uh, the belt I haven't put up yet, but I think I'm going to put it on the wall. Ah, uh, Titus Worldwide, baby. <laughs> yeah. So the next thing we saw was the slam of the week, uh, and it's basically just still shots of Randy Orton in the triple threat from the night before. But we do manage to sneak in the numbers game reference for the night. <laughs> uh, yeah, have here Nitro stills of Legacy triple threat. Not much of a slam of the week, is it? Some pictures. No, it's not a very physical action flashing a picture up on the screen. <laughs> so, but is sorry the song of the week with just for men moustache and beard. <laughs> yeah, some of their sponsors are amazing. <laughs> and we get told about the two guys that are going to be the hosts for the evening, and I've only written one of their names down. Um, what? What Did you take a note? What movie was it that these guys were from? But, yeah, so it's Rob Corddry and Clark Duke from Hot Tub Time Machine who were in like the second or third row at WrestleMania. See, I got stuck on Rob Corddry because he's out of Ballers, and I just went, oh, it's the guy from Ballers, and went off and started looking over Ballers Wikipedia and forgot to take the note. Oh, I didn't realise he was in that. Yeah. I just know him from The Daily Show. No, so he's got the wrestling connection, obviously, working with The Rock. Oh, yeah. And we go to our next match. Oh, sorry, go ahead, jump in. Well, yeah, so they, they bring all these legends out because they're saying, oh, well, our movie's all about the 80s. And, yeah, so this is going to be about the 80s as well. And they also announced the main event is going to be Swagger and Batista against Cena and a partner of his choice. And then they chime in, right? You know how Hollywood is really progressive and ahead of the curve and, you know, it's this big utopia with flying cars and shit. <laughs> well, you know how there's this attitude that any match you want can be the main event. Yep. Well, they're way ahead of their time here because they're like, oh, but but that's not the only main event. <laughs> no, by definition, there's only one main event in this show. But, yeah, so they're going to be in a hot tub match with a bunch of divas. Yeah, that's as good as it sounds when we get there as well. <laughs> oh, my gosh, yeah. <laughs> The match they're announcing here is Christian up against Ted DiBiase, uh, senior, of course. Uh, junior, of course. Senior. That would have been a bit one-sided, wouldn't it? Um, the confusion reigns because Ted Senior actually comes out with Nick Bockwinkle, Arn Anderson, and Pat Patterson, followed pretty closely by IRS, Roddy Piper, Sergeant Slaughter, Tony Gurria, and Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. Um they're coming out for a Legends Lumberjack match with Christian versus Ted DiBiase, the younger version. Um, and yeah, pretty much that whole, that um, little interaction with the host takes longer than this match. It's not that much of a match, really. Um, but when we do get it underway, after the commercial, we start off with Christian hitting a sunset flip for a two count. Ted DiBiase comes back with a slap and Christian hits him with one of his own. Um, get a big clothesline by Ted for a two count. 
a reverse DDT by Christian for a two count, a missile drop kick for a two, and a second rope back elbow. Uh, Ted DiBiase comes back with a clothesline, and the Lumberjacks brawl on the outside, allowing Christian to hit the kill switch for the one, two, three in a pretty short and forgettable matchup, bar the inclusion of some of my all-time favorites stood around the outside. Yeah, bit of fluff this. It's competent as it always is going to be with Christian in there, but it was the wrong result as well, I felt. The most notable part of that match for me was Sarge putting Pat Patterson in the Cobra Clutch on the outside. <laughs> it's at this point that I get my first sort of real head shake of the night as well, because as I'm watching, as I tend to do, I just occasionally flick on the the trigger button on the PlayStation just to see what matches are on the show and, you know, psych myself up to keep watching. And I realize there's a Divas tag match coming ahead, which is going to last probably less than a minute by the look of the markers. So some some things never change in this era. I'll I'll save my bio for when that comes. (laughs) And then Ted Jr. walks out on Ted Sr. And we go to our next Shawn Michaels video, which is actually the split of the Rockers in one of my all-time favorite wrestling moments, something that I remember to this day um, very, very well. Tag team specialist. See, one without the other isn't any good. Oh, oh I knew he was going to do that. I just knew he was going to do that. He don't need Janetti. I told you that off and on. Oh, Oh, somebody did it again recently. They said, oh, Sean kicked Marty through the window. He fucking did it! (laughs) Get your facts straight. (laughs) I knew he was going to do that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We we then go to Triple H walking, and I've got um, Michael Cole thanks Kerr Rudolph for We Made It, which is one of your favourite tunes from a WrestleMania, right? (laughs) Oh, yay! (laughs) <laughs> thank you kevin rudolph big thanks um and then we go to uh bikini hot tub match so we've got champagne on ice where they get the lights dimmed and the two guys are in the hot tub waiting on some company next up it's triple h coming out to cut a promo about he and triple H. Uh, he and Shawn michaels sorry um throws up the two sweet talks about how they fought together and against each other um, has something to say to Sean, but before he can get those words out, Seamus comes from behind and nails him with a pipe, which is met with disgust from all and sundry. Well, apart from one smirk in the crowd who like kind of sarcastically asked, what do you want to tell him? <laughs> oh, man, they just don't get behind people like they used to anymore. No. Um, we'll get to my thoughts on that segment later on in the night. Very good. We now go to one that I'm going to let you uh, unwind on a little bit here. It's the 10 Divas tag match. And not that there's any point in introducing them all because of how long it lasts, but it's Gail Kim, Eve, Kelly Kelly, Beth Phoenix, and Mickey James up against Maurice, Alicia Fox, Vicky Guerrero, Layla, and Michelle McCool. And I, my note, first note is riding the participants took far longer than this match did. Oh, boy. Yeah. So they show us some nitro stills of Vicky's hog splash from WrestleMania. Maurice gets mouthy and does her pose, but then Eve immediately rolls her up for a free count. Fuck off! What is the point of bringing ten of them out for that? Like, you literally didn't need anybody but the two in the ring. (coughs) Can you imagine as well if any other feud in the company and they had the WrestleMania rematch for next night and it literally lasted 15 seconds. Oh, it's an absolute joke. This is just such a waste of time. 
Exactly. And my note just says fuck off as well, so we're pretty much on the same page there. <laughs> <laughs> the, the... Oh, but I, don't, I don't know who got the worst end of the deal here. These ten here are the four in the hot tub with the hosts. At least they got to show a little bit of personality at some point, but yeah, this was this was just shite. Well, and there's, there's some stakes in that match as well, because yeah. match in because there's a Divas title shot on the line. <sighs> this is terrible. They they finish off with a quick 10 second brawl, and we go to a video package on Shawn Michaels' ladder match with Razor Ramon at WrestleMania 10. Another one that I guess we probably all remember pretty fondly. For sure. And like speaking of ladder matches, they photoshopped Swagger's briefcase into his mugshot. And it's hilariously bad. I didn't catch that. That's interesting. I'm sure it'll be on uh, next week's show. Yeah. Oh. Oh, okay. Well, we'll have to see. Yeah. <laughs> and we then see Bret Hart coming on his way out before we go to a commercial. We come back and it's another Shawn Michaels video. This time it's the Boyhood Dream and WrestleMania 12 before Bret makes his entrance comes out, congratulates Sean on a fantastic career, and talks about how it was good to beat Vince McMahon at WrestleMania. <coughs> he gets high fives from... Um, oh, he says, he, up in heaven, he would be getting high fives from his mum, dad, Owen Hart, and the British Bulldog. Yeah, which brings me on to that awesome T-shirt he was wearing of him playfully headlocking Owen. That's a great, great shirt, isn't it? Fantastic. Um, we had the, before the commercial, we had a did you know graphic. And it said, did you know photos of Shawn Michaels versus The Undertaker from WrestleMania have already been viewed over 10 million times? Oh, I did not know that. <laughs> uh, it kind of dates the show a bit. Like nowadays, it'd be, I don't know, trying to collate all the retweets and views they got of gifts of the show or something. Like, Yeah, absolutely. Who, Who's, who would still go to a company's official website to see stills of a match when you know, it's so readily available? I can't remember doing that without a, without a severely long wait time as it just loaded bit by bit by bit. <laughs> we, get, we get a good Owen chant while Brett's in the ring, which is kind of cool. Um, and he says that the only um, taste in his mouth now is joy and satisfaction, which is a little bit weird. It's not really a taste, but sure. Thanks the fans for the last three months. Gets a standing ovation, and this brings out Showmiz to ruin the moment. Oh my god. Miz is my absolute hero here. <laughs> so this is all really shtick, and he asks Brett, why is he proud of winning a 25-on-one handicap match? <laughs> Yeah, um, he also, one of my favourite lines is he says that he won his match at WrestleMania, making him 1-0, so he's only 17 wins off The Undertaker's streak. <laughs> yes, I marked out hard for that. Uh, oh, my God. He calls Bret Hart overrated. I'm assuming in his mind he thinks he's about a 4 out of 10. <laughs> and this brings out the Hart Foundation to come to Bret's aid. Uh, show Miz Bale. Bret Hart challenges him to a match against the Hearts, and Big Show seems to be berating the Miz about doing all this on on the ramp while we're going to commercial. Mm, that would, this is definitely the most worthwhile thing on the show so far. Miz gold in that segment and a bunch of great lines. Yeah, he's very very underrated. I think this year was really or this year last year was really the year a lot of people finally came to appreciate the Miz. Uh, t- 
took him long enough. We come back, and it is that going to be that match of the Heart Foundation up against Showmiz. Um, we get a nice delayed vertical suplex by DH Smith and clotheslines uh, the Miz out of the ring. We get a backdrop. Tyson Kidd comes over to the Miz, um, and we get a bit of a backslide. We get a lifting choke by the Big Show, uh, followed by a slam. The Miz comes in. We get a corner clothesline for a two, and the Show comes in and hits his really huge Big Show chop. Uh DH and the Miz come back in, and we get a clothesline and a power slam, and then a really cool-looking springboard heart attack. I like the little modern update on that move. <coughs> uh, we get a sharpshooter, but Show pulls Miz out to the rescue, chastises the Miz, and they walk out on the match. Mm, yeah, so as a finish, I thought that was fine. You know, it, it puts the hearts over as a threat and protects the champs at the same time. Like a very brief match, but certainly the most this in tandem with the Brett segment early is the most worthwhile thing on this show so far. This is certainly the most worthwhile thing in the from any ring standpoint. There's some nice hints of chemistry between the two teams here. I thought it was pretty good. Yeah, you're saying about um, putting twists on things. Show when he was doing the choke lift on Tyson, he actually headbutted him out of midair. I didn't even notice that. That's awesome. Yeah, it was great. We then go from there to a, another video retrospective for Shawn Michaels. It's a DX one this time before going to a commercial break. And then we get the WWE Rewind, which is pretty much just a recap of the night before's Money in the Bank. Uh, from there, we go back to the hot tub um, where, <laughs> where we have two blonde girls who I don't even recognize leave the hot tub. <laughs> <laughs> it was Tiffany and Rosa Mendes. <laughs> Still none the wiser. <laughs> I didn't realise it was only last year that Rosa got released. Oh, my God. I thought she was gone a, like, a lot earlier. Yeah, so this this was not, not really much to it. Um, we get the other host of the show, uh, of the movie, sorry, the Hot Tub Time Machine, come on a video screen and start arguing with them. And um, I know him from Brooklyn Nine-Nine, so he's one of the criminals that always gets away, so... Oh my god, I didn't realise that. Yeah, I totally didn't recognise him at all. <laughs> yeah, no, that's not why. I've just I've got to pick these guys from what I know them from. Um, and he basically declares that both the Bellas win, so they leave, and Mark Henry and Hornswoggle come in to join the party, which is um, really, really interesting. Mark Henry in a big red Speedo. <laughs> <laughs> Slides right in, he's like... Oh, we're going to enjoy this. Tell me about Hollywood. <laughs> oh, just an awful, awful segment. <laughs> it's not, yeah, I, I, my final note of that was kill me now. <laughs> we get a replay of the Triple H and Sheamus moment from earlier in the night. And then we go to our main event of the evening, which is Jack Swagger and Sheamus up against Cena and his tag team partner, Randy Orton. <coughs> who gets a really big pop, unlike Jack Swagger, who gets absolutely zero reaction from the crowd. Yeah, he had a pretty nothing promo at the start of this match as well. It's just like, oh, I smell money in the bank. Yeah, I've got here, Jack Swagger cuts poor promo, and mercifully we go to a commercial break. (laughs) Dave, again, was fantastic. He was so pissed off when Orton came out. Did you notice as well that we Swagger was cuts his promo and he's holding up the case, like showing it off like he's just won it. And when we come back from commercial, he's still stood in the same spot holding up the case like a fucking idiot. 
Oh my god. <laughs> so he's, he had to have been holding that case up for a good 60 seconds or so. If, it, if this was Chris Jericho, he'd be cussing out all the local sports teams in the commercial break. But since it's Swagger, I can imagine he was literally stood stock still. Yeah, I can only think like Seamus comes out and he goes, you're going to have to start, my arms are dead. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, Cena comes out, brings out his partner, Orton. Batista is well and truly pissed off and Cena and Swagger start the match. Um, Cena hits a nice snap suplex and tags in Orton, who hits his, you know... Garvin Stomp 2000, Vintage Orton, as Cole tells us. And we get an RKO chant as we go to another commercial break. We come back and Swagger has a high waist lock on Cena. Uh, hits a back suplex for a two. A running Vader bomb for a two. And then Batista comes in, hits a snapmare, a neck whip for a two. A spine buster before Cena fights back with a backdrop. And Orton and Swagger come in. Orton hits a power slam for a two. An RKO on Batista. And then on Jack Swagger picking up the one, two, three. Um, and we get a bit of a rundown video of WrestleMania. Yeah. Um, um, right, let, let's not skip past this too much. He's saying about Dave earlier in that match with the neck snap. That was the fucking somersault snap neck breaker that Mr. Perfect would always do. That was Batista doing that. Yeah, one of my favourite moves as well. I don't know why I didn't write in big capital letters about that, because I love that move. <laughs> He's just... Really opening up like he knows he's months away from leaving. Spoilers. So he just doesn't give a fuck anymore. He's like, yeah, I'm just going to have a lock of power. It's great. That's brilliant. That's actually not not too bad of a match, this one. I didn't. It wasn't anything to write home about, but I thought it, it was pretty serviceable. Yeah, it was all right. It's nothing that I need to go out of my way to watch again, but it was so interesting to see how invested people already are for Randy Orton as a baby face like they were literally chomping at the bit at times in that match yeah which I guess like is crazy to me because I, I watch Orton now and granted he bores me to tears but I get the feeling most crowds feel pretty well the same way that he's just there because he's been there a long time now and he doesn't really offer anything of any value anymore to me yeah it's just like where else can he go really yeah I mean the whole Wyatt feud started off okay with me and then it died a death with that match with all the pictures on the ring and since then he's just kind of been there so you know it's crazy to think how hot they were for him here and then thinking even further back how hot they were for him as he sort of left evolution and had the RKO stuff all going on around that time as well yeah 2017 has not been a a kind year to Randy Orton it has not and from there, we go to really what everyone's been waiting for and what this show has built up to the entire night. Shawn Michaels coming out for his big farewell speech. At 23, I started coming in to each and every one of your homes every week. And the idea of now being 44 and not coming into your homes on that TV set every week is gonna be, it's gonna be a little tough to get used to. Show is over, close the storybook. There will be no encore. And all the random hands that I have shook well, they're reaching for the door 
appreciate you saying thank you, but I have to tell you something. I have to thank you because for the longest time, this ring and all of you was the only thing I had in my life. Night in and night out, you guys were the only ones in the world that ever made me like me. Most won't be in good for goodness sake, but you wouldn't fancy You are more beautiful when you awake most are in a life and every one of you that I have my own family. I don't say that with regrets. I thank you all so much for giving me the honor and the privilege to come out here and let me show off in front of you every night of my life. And to Rebecca, Cheyenne, and Cameron, Baby's daddy's coming home. Before he can say anything, we get the gong and The Undertaker comes out, tips his cap and leaves back out backstage. So just a nice little, you know, a little moment there without any words having to exchange. The crowd are very hot for Shawn Michaels with a huge please don't go chant. Starts to talk and is cut off with a huge thank you Shawn chant. He says he doesn't want to name everybody in case he forgets, but he thanks Triple H, he thanks Michael Cole, Jerry Lawler, and JR, and all the production crew, which I thought was a rather classy moment, saying that they made him look like a Superman every week. Yeah, and there was one lad in Stanford in particular who he like gave credit for every single video package they've ever put together for him. Adam was his name, apparently. Ah, uh, Yes. I thought that was really, really cool, yeah. Yeah, I thought that was, you know, rather than go and name all the wrestlers and get the big pops, he named all the guys that don't get as much credit, which I thought was very cool. Um, oh, it's like when Warrior got inducted the other year. Yeah, and they've stolen his idea and done something completely different with it. Yeah, yeah. Um, we get another one more match chant. Um, he says that he wants to keep his word and stick to his retirement. Um, he thanks Bret Hart for coming back and giving him his friendship, which chokes me up a little bit. That was a really classy moment as well. 
Uh, he thanks Vince, which gets booze, but he says he thanks Vince for keeping him and for letting him make bigger mistakes and surviving. He thanks the fans, which gets a huge HBK chant. He thanks Jesus, his wife and kids. And then he pulls out the classic Bobby Heenan line saying, HBK has left the building. The crowd give him absolutely massive respect. And as he's walking back, Triple H walks out and gives him a hug, lays his glow sticks down to end the show on a really, really great segment. Yeah, there's so many nice touches in this, even before they just gave Sean his time to talk. Like you're saying about Taker coming out and just tipping his cap. That was really good. I'm glad that they did that in the show as opposed to like when Flair retired and yeah. it was just a post-show arena thing for people. Uh, the only thing that annoyed me about this, well, as a segment, was so the, the announcers give Sean a standing ovation like everyone else, but they leave their microphones on so you can hear them clapping. <laughs> get out of my face but um, yeah I mean like for me as someone who stayed with wrestling post it being like boom period popular like attitude era popular Shawn Michaels was a massive massive part of that I was such a huge cynic when he was going to come back SummerSlam 2002 and he just blew me out of the water with that match like that match with Triple H is one of probably the like like probably one of the only handful of matches that I'd say was probably damn near perfect yeah that's that that's a really high moment in my fandom as well like I was actually the opposite to you when he was coming back I was hyped now leading up to that I used to buy the um not the Apta mags, but you know, like the the sort of shoot style magazines you could get that would give you the inside yeah. scoop and stuff. Way before the internet was a big, you know, big thing. Uh, internet was around, but it wasn't somewhere where I went for my wrestling news. And they were always talking about Shawn Michaels' comeback. So I read about the time I think in two thousand or two thousand and one he came back and was a bit of an embarrassment backstage and got turfed home. And when he came back in the NWO, I jumped off my sofa. I went nuts when he had come back. And then the whole DX thing, I was a huge DX mark. And when he and Triple H came out for DX, I absolutely lost it. It was one of the best moments of my wrestling fandom at that point. And then Triple H fucked it all up, <laughs> as he always does. <laughs> <laughs> he ruined it. <laughs> uh, what year was we'll that too, to by the way? <laughs> That was 2002 as well. Fucked everything that year. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we'll get to... There's more of Triple H fucking things up later on. But I just want to make the point that, like, Shawn Michaels being the big match performer was a big, big part of my fandom, like, throughout the years where all my other friends... Well, most of my other friends were going off wrestling. And, like, to be at this point in time... Where it's like contemplating, oh, I'm not going to see Shawn Michaels wrestle anymore. Kind of felt like a little light went out for me. And yeah, I didn't buy wrestling DVDs quite as frequently anymore and things like that. Yeah, see, it's funny. Like, if I try and track the time from where I was first a wrestling fan to where I first, for the first time, ever stopped watching wrestling, I would have to say Shawn Michaels features quite heavily in a lot of my early years favorite matches like the match with the rockers and the orient express at the royal rumble the match with the haku and the barbarian at wrestlemania you know and then all his single stuff 
awesome. And then I think I, the years from sort of 2003 to about 2008 jumble up for me quite easily in my memory. But one of the last really great moments of wrestling I enjoyed before I checked out at least I think I saw, it was. It could have been two years prior, but I don't know. Was the um, the Shawn Michaels and Undertaker um, Royal Rumble finish where they went on their own as the last two entrants? That was just amazing for me. So there's so many awesome Shawn Michaels memories through my entire wrestling fandom. So I'm with you on that. Like it was a bit sad to see that he's not going to have another match. Yeah, for sure. Like that 03 to 08 period, he was just on point all the while, and like. So Jericho against Jericho, his first WrestleMania back, stunning. Uh, his matches with Kurt Angle, yeah, can't be topped. Oh my goodness! That WrestleMania and match it, with Angle was incredible. Yeah, sensational. And as you're saying, that closing stretch of the Royal Rumble with the Undertaker in 2007. Holy crap! Yeah, not to mention the um, the two triple threats as well with. Triple H and Benoit, I know it's not really the best thing to talk about, but those two matches were incredible, and he was a huge part of that as well. Yeah, it was just magic. So, yeah. Sure. Um, I'll go on. Well, just... We can get back to Triple H fucking up now. Sorry, Kyle. <laughs> yeah, he, he ruined my Triple H re- reunion. R- killed it. <laughs> and my Triple H. <laughs> oh, he's in the brain. My DX reunion. And then when they did it later on, it was so crap. Oh, well, like the the so you know they're having the clips of Sean's career and stuff. The DX bit focused so heavily on 2006 DX. Yeah, I found a bit. But the one good thing that came out of it was um, so like they were making fart noises when Vince was in the ring like when they took over the production crew and Vince was just like, that wasn't me. <laughs> <laughs> the only good mem- memory I have of modern DX was a segment where they were trying to buy, I think it was tickets from Crime Time outside the arena. That's the only time I could say they were genuinely funny where I think, sure, well, I can't remember which way around it was, but I want to say Sure, Michaels was trying to communicate with them and they were just not getting anywhere in Triple H just to say, no, 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 I speak Ebonics and go up and yo, 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 yo. <laughs> and it, that was actually genuinely funny, as if in poor taste. So, yeah, Triple H. In this segment earlier, he just randomly comes out to the ring and he's like, oh, I've got this, oh, I was really emotional, I'm going to miss my best friend. Uh, there's something that I'm dying to tell you. Seamus fucks him over from behind with the pipe. And he says, like, oh, no, how will Triple H ever talk to his friend ever again now? <laughs> right? The fucker cannot even sell it for one whole fucking hour. <laughs> He's out here back with Sean, all hugs and stuff. I'm like, fucking say what you were going to say to Sean now. No, he is selling. He's got amnesia. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> he forgot he had something to say. <laughs> <laughs> I will laugh if that is legitimately the excuse they go with <laughs> for this heat that they got on Seamus. Oh, you bastard! You Nazi character in his brain, and now he couldn't remember what he wanted to say to his best mate. That's the best storyline ever. I'd be down for that. <laughs> uh. Oh, <laughs> the next several weeks is just Sean on the phone trying to figure out what it was he wanted to tell him. <laughs> oh my god, it could be like Lost in Cleveland again. <laughs> <laughs> that that did wonders for Foley. 
Kid, let me tell you, you're going to have amnesia. You're going to live on the streets. It's going to be fine. You're going to get over big time. <laughs> oh, I still remember the first time I saw one of them skits. That's just amazing stuff. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So, getting back on track for Raw, what, what were your overall thoughts for the show? <sighs> it didn't feel like a post-WrestleMania show for the most part, other than, like, Sean's speech and them doing a fairly good job of transitioning uh, Brett's heat onto the Hart dynasty. Like, it was very little worthwhile, I felt. It didn't feel like a monumental show as far as wrestling went for me, but it was an easy watch, at least, I found. I mean, <coughs> this has become a thing now, hasn't it, where the post-WrestleMania Raw is just, just so jam-packed with crazy shit and debuts and stuff. Yeah, I mean, you only have to... Fast forward one year on from this, and you've got Sin Cara making his debut, boxing, bouncing on the trampette into the ring. <laughs> and and you've got Cena and Rock challenging each other for next year's WrestleMania. Yeah. So, you know. Yeah, I'm not I'm not a huge fan of the of what the whole post WrestleMania Raw has become. I think it's just too too smarky now like I don't I don't genuinely enjoy it. But this one I found okay to watch. It wasn't great, but it wasn't bad by any stretch either and the Shawn Michaels stuff was really good to watch so overall it gets a slight thumbs up from me uh, skip to the Shawn and the Brett stuff for me alright moving right along then should we go on and check out whether or not Impact could get more of a more of a rise out of you Ooh, yeah <laughs> So, Impact opens up with a video package uh, looking at Eric Bischoff's issues with Jeff Jarrett and Mick Foley. And then Jeff Jarrett is in Hulk Hogan's office. Um, and he says that Hogan tells him that if he beats AJ Styles, he'll be the number one contender. And then, holy fucking shit, in walks Jay Lethal. <laughs> Not just Jay Lethal. What machismo, yeah. And impossibly my favorite ever wrestling moment recreates the mega powers handshake but when i'm gone i can't think of anybody i'd rather have take my place than the madness himself ah. Ooh, so how about the yeah. mega power handshake to seal the deal brother feel Ooh, i feel the something's power. gonna happen some madness is gonna happen Ooh, Ooh, yeah. 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 i'm digging it yeah, the shake. Get it in there, brother. <laughs> oh, I met Jay Lethal the other month, and I really wish I'd have done the Mega Powers handshake with him now. Oh, the best thing ever, because that is a genuine childhood memory for me. So that's just 
As I said, SummerSlam 88 is my, fa- my, my first ever show. And the video package they do on that of that handshake is something I'll never forget as long as I live. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, this show's immediately gone up to a 10 out of 10 and it's up to the rest of the show to meet that standard. Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we then get... From there, we, we drop a little bit. We get the band coming out with Bubba the Love Sponge to fire Bubba Chant. So he's as over as ever on his way out here. Immediately gone back down to a zero out of ten. He um, keeps it real by calling the crowd marks uh, and then cuts a bit of a dud promo before handing the mic off to Kevin Nash, who calls out Eric Young to apologize to him. And Eric Young, showing his utter stupidity, decides to just come out to the ring and see what he's got to say. Right. Bubba in this promo, for fuck's sake, he's not only calls the fans marks, he calls them pathetic sheep marks. Yeah, he's on fire here. Now, I, I don't know about you, Lee, but I still mark every time I see a sheep. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, oh, look, oh, bless his little furry, woolly coat. The only time I mark out to farm animals is to distract my daughter while I'm driving for 30 seconds, peace of fucking quiet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is a good game. Um, so, yeah, there's one standout line from this promo from Bubby here. He goes, I don't even need this job, quite frankly. Fuck off, then. Yeah, pretty much. He is awful. He absolutely sucks. <laughs> he cannot get Eric Young's name right. No, and doesn't care either. Like, the lack of effort here is just appalling. Fucking Kevin Nash has to correct him. If fucking Kevin Nash is the guy that's pulling you up and trying to cover for your lack of professionalism you're in bloody dog shit mate. <laughs> with eric young in the ring they offer him a spot in the band uh, the catch being that he has to call off their big six-man main event with rvd and jeff hardy who they tell ey are not in their league uh he then attacks all four of them punching them and does the utterly stupid baby face thing just grabs the manager and stares at him for a while allowing the heels to regroup and catch him with the numbers game uh, RVD and Jeff Hardy come running out in their ring gear, make the save, and then Jeff Hardy announces to the world that the main event will be in a steel cage, then weirdly sings along to his own theme song as we end the segment. <laughs> um, What on earth was with Jeff Hardy's hairnet here? No idea, but I've given up on trying to figure out what Jeff Hardy's wearing a long time ago. He looks like he's just stepped out of a goth kitchen or something. He's a strange guy in this era as well, because his theme song is not something you should sing along with. I mean, he he was a guy that sung it himself, so I guess it's just a force of habit for him. Yeah, trying to get it over, but I don't think it's going to work. Nah. We then come to our next matchup, which is Brian Kem- Kendrick and Doug Williams taking on Frankie Kazarian and Shannon Moore. Shannon Moore and Doug Williams start... Uh, before Kaz gets in the ring before long and hits a leg lariat and a slam, then a slingshot leg drop for a two count. Kendrick comes in and eats a couple of arm drags. Um, before we're told that on Impact next week, um, oh no, we're told that. Oh, what what are we told about Impact next week? It's a oh, it's an eight pm start next week, so they're already moving to try and counteract the Raw battle here. Yes, yeah, special start time eight pm Eastern and <clears throat> Pacific. So. Yeah, it's fairly newsworthy in terms of our timeline now that they're already running scared, trying to 
clawbacks and viewers. Yeah, it's not long for this world, I believe. No. Um, Doug Williams gets a cheap shot before taking over control. Kendrick comes in and locks on a camel camel clutch and then some cross-face forearms. Uh, Kendrick's all over, um, is very over with the crowd, I should say. They both tag out. Shannon Moore hits drop kicks to everyone and then a top rope runner for a two. Um, we get a spin kick and then things speed up a little bit. Kendrick gets a blind tag. But as he's getting in, Shannon Moore comes off the top rope with a blockbuster for a one, two, three in a pretty decent, if somewhat quick matchup. Yeah, this is pretty good. Really solidly wrestled. And I really appreciate it as well. Kaz and Moore, even though they're not a proper tag team, they still try and work some teamwork into the match. Like near the end, they did a spinning wheel kick and German suplex combo. And yeah, just like people putting thought into the wrestling like that. I didn't mind the finish either, just because it was something a little bit different. Like, you don't often see someone blind tag, and as they're getting in, the guy that was uh, incapacitated on the ropes just decide, no, I'm going to hit you with a move now, and bang, it's over. Mm. So, good stuff. We we then flick backstage to Bischoff on a phone, and in comes Jay Lethal with his booking sheet. Oh, man, you could just hear the excitement in my voice. So, the lineup he's got for the night will feature the Iron Sheik and Nikolai Volkov taking on the Killer Bees. Coco Coco Beware versus Akeem with Slick. Do you remember him? (laughs) King Kong Bundy up against the Junkyard Dog. Before Bischoff interrupts and says, just book the main event. That's all that we need to worry about for you. So this was just amazing. <sighs> two, two other noteworthy things here. This segment was the debut of Miss Tessmacher. Oh, yeah. I do not know who she is, but yes, yeah, she was there. She's Brooke from the Extreme Exposé in WWE. Still don't know, but sure. <laughs> and she she go on to have a pretty solid in ring career with TNA actually, and she did knockout champion a couple of times. Um, but yeah, so Eric tells her to call beer money and uh, to keep this guy out of his office. <laughs> and um, oh, the other thing I liked as well, Lethal offered Eric the third spot in the Mega Powers. <laughs> Just comedy gold. I I just love Jay Lethal. That's great. And from here, we go to another guy I've been really enjoying recently. It's the Pope on his way to the ring who cuts a promo. Um, He says he's not calling Ric Flair the nature boy anymore because he was a boy 50 years ago and it's time to grow up, which I thought was a really good line. Nice. And um, it cuts a pretty decent promo with a very rock-esque self-rhyming ending to the promo here. Oh, I said he did a he does a decent superstar Billy Graham impression. There you go. Chelsea comes out as he's going to leave and wants to be his hoe, she tells him. So her words, not mine. Desmond Wolf tries to jump in for a sneak attack, but the pimp spots it, um, nails him, kisses Chelsea and stuffs a dollar bill into her bra before leaving. So classy segment all round. This was good until Chelsea came out and then it fell off a cliff. Every kind of bloody misogynist pimping cliche you can think of. Dying piece, do you know how to drive a stick? It It was, yeah, a little bit um, in poor taste all around and not very smooth either for that matter. 
this segment also pissed me off a bit because this was the second segment in a row where what is this the second segment tonight where I'm like oh we're gonna have a match oh no it's not a match what the fuck yeah I've got Pope v Desmond Wolf because they've been talking about that and then I had to cross it out and go nope he's on his way to the ring for a promo I did the exact same thing <laughs> I did that and then I did that for the six man tag as well like when the band came out I was like oh this is gonna be on now oh <laughs> from there we go to a bit of a um a bit of a viral kind of promo from Samoa Joe backstage um similar to sort of the shield promos or something like that but really good stuff yeah um, so i think in the time between our um february pay-per-views and this timeline and impact's debut on monday nights permanently joe got kidnapped by ninjas or something okay <laughs> and he, he very um, he, he talks a lot about how they have spoken, which is very prescient for the future. It's quite a bit of foreshadowing, actually. I'm looking. I'm looking. <laughs> kind of impressed me. Looking forward to that. <laughs> yeah. Um, we then get a the strangest segment of either of the two shows. Orlando Jordan is lowered from the ceiling, wearing nothing but police tape, uh, barefoot. And crawls out of the ring, goes through the crowd, and this is all very slowly, Pop goes into a pop-up VIP lounge with one guy and one girl there to keep him company. Well, what I loved about this was when he was going through the crowd, there was a kid who held his hand up for OJ to like, slap it, high-five <laughs> This was just, oh, this was Gold Dust 2000 kind of creepy. I'm not going to say it because I don't want any legal recourse, but I've heard some things about Orlando Jordan's behaviour that are a bit concerning. And I don't mean his bisexuality. Like, I'm just going to put this out there, that the reason why you can't have a bisexual or gay character in wrestling is because that suddenly becomes their only defining feature. And one guy and one girl was not a very subtle way of saying this in this thing, was it? Yeah, I'm, oh, I'm trying to think. There's a really good example outside of wrestling, I think, where it's just like, oh, like the, the character just so happens to be gay. Like, there's a way you do it where, you know, you, you can write someone as a homosexual character without, like, it totally defining them. And you can also make uh like the sexuality of someone not their defining features of character without it coming across that oh it's just a heterosexual character that you've written about and you've just like slapped a label on them to you know yeah absolutely and this is not not the way to do that <laughs> it's this is all very strange yeah <laughs> so from there we go to jb who is backstage with tara who cuts a Promo on Daphne, but Daphne comes out and jumps her. They brawl around for a little while. We go to a commercial, and then they begin to brawl to the ring, um, all around the ramp, uh, the announce table. Today loses sound for a while. Daphne gets a broken broom and tries to spike uh, Tara with it, who fights back and hits her with the widow's peak. Tara then nails um, Daphne with something and gets a tiny trickle of blood. Daphne then licks her own blood to end the segment in a good brawl, but still a little bit strange for my liking here. 
Oh, it was a toolbox. A toolbox, was it? Yeah, that's what I had. Um, yeah, there's one point. Daphne breaks a broom in half and like comes at Tara with the spike of it to try and bust her open. Yeah, it was weird. But like, see, she got this tiny cut on the on the top of her head, right? And they obviously wanted the closing shot to be her licking her blood, but the cut is so small, she's got to like fumble around and find it to lick a bit of blood. It just comes off a little bit weird. <clears throat> yeah, like I have, I had it written down apparently drawing blood, so like I wasn't too convinced by it either. Yeah. Like, not not great. Um, but well, I mean, like as a match, it was far too brief, but as a brawl, it's quite good. Yeah, good brawl, especially before the match started. Yeah, mm. I just I just don't think the execution gave the ending they wanted to give but everything up until that was fine yeah no if if he'd have had a simpler stipulation we then go to our next match which is jay uh jeff jarrett fighting aj styles that was a bit of a tongue twister double j and aj um for jeff jarrett looking to become the number one contender if he wins this match and hulk hogan gives jeff jarrett and myself a gift giving back his awesome tna theme music (laughs) Mm, yeah and his pyro too yeah, big fan of Jeff Jarrett's awesome theme song, which d- does let everybody know that he's not dead and he's not The Rock. <laughs> um, the, so they flash up graphics and stuff when people come out, and on Jarrett's, on, on Jarrett's it lists his finisher as a stroke. Then AJ comes out, and on the bit where it listed Jarrett's finisher, it just listed Ric Flair. <laughs> I'm like, are they making out that Ric Flair is AJ Styles' finishing manoeuvre? Yep, bring him into the ring, distract the referee. (laughs) Yeah. We get a good bit of chain wrestling to start off before AJ hits a hip toss and then struts um, basically to some heel heat. We get a shoulder block. Jeff Jarrett hits a couple of hip tosses before we uh, hit him with a boss man attack on the ropes and inverted atomic drop and goes onto the... um, Sorry, hits him with an inverted atomic drop, and as Taz describes it, right on the old yam bag. <laughs> yes, I noted down yam bag again. <laughs> Clotheslines him out of the ring and comes back with a strut of his own, the Jeff Jarrett strut we've all come to know and love. They brawl along the outside before Jeff Jarrett hits a big kick for a two. AJ hits a leg breaker and begins working over the leg, locking in a figure four. Flair tries to help, but is caught. Um, Jeff Jarrett puts on a figure four. Um, Ric Flair helps him and gets tossed and security come out to remove him as we go to a commercial break. AJ hits a low blow and then a dive in the commercial break we're showing replays of um, and a big knee before putting on a chin lock, some chops. Jarrett fights back with a backdrop, a couple of clotheslines and a back suplex before hitting a pedigree for a two count, which the announcers (laughs) refuse to call a pedigree. What was that all about? (laughs) Oh, I have that Big capital letters here. Oh, my God. What what a meta reference that is. Jeff Jarrett, the guy with the shovel in TNA for all those years. Referencing the other guy with the shovel in the other company. Yeah, f- flashing his eyelids across the company. <laughs> this was just, yeah, this was um, weird. And they just made a, like a real hash of trying to call it something other than the pedigree. Jeff Jarrett with that, uh, that, that face buster there. <laughs> So, yeah. <laughs> AJ comes back with a really cool underhook judo-style suplex and the phenomenal forearm for a two-count. 
Jeff Jarrett reverses an Alabama, uh, sorry, the Styles Clash into an Alabama Slam. Flair comes back out. The ref gets bumped, and we get a super stroke from Jeff Jarrett off the ropes, but there's no referee there. Bischoff comes in with a guitar, which is blocked, but AJ manages to hit a low blow and a Styles Clash as Bischoff revives the referee for the 1-2-3. And we see in the aftermath of the match here that the guitar shots actually cut AJ Styles' hand open pretty nastily as well. Yeah, it was when he was reaching up to low, bro, low blow Jarrett and his wrist hit the guitar cords. Yeah, it looked pretty, pretty gruesome there. Mm, yeah, way more blood than the first blood match, actually. Yeah, um, Daphne could have come out and licked some of that. <laughs> 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 oh, but no, decent match. Um, bit of a, you know, continues the storyline with Bischoff and, and Jarrett, but not bad action. I didn't mind this. Yeah, I thought that turned out great. It's not quite in, like, the league of, say, AJ and Kurt or AJ and Joe, but this is some really good stuff. Jarrett pulled out a whole bunch of stuff I was not expecting, and there was lots of good spots and very few flubs. Yeah, good stuff. Yeah. From here, we go to a promo with RVD, Jeff Hardy, and Eric Young. Pretty decent promo all around. Nothing too noteworthy, but it was good stuff. I have a few notes on this, though. You say nothing noteworthy. So Eric Young, the line that he had that caught my attention was, he says he's not the smartest man, but he is clever. <laughs> okay. It's a bit strange. And then, literally, RVD starts talking and literally tags out to Jeff Hardy when he runs out of things to say. <laughs> yeah, he did, actually, so, yeah. Like, Jeff, do you have some words for them? Because <laughs> I fucking don't. Oh, man, yeah. <laughs> I'll give you that one then, no worries. <laughs> um, Lethal then catches Bischoff backstage and offers Brutus of Barber Beefcake against the Rick the Model Martel for the main event. <laughs> Just amazing. Bischoff fires back with, there's only one true main eventer that we can call, and <laughs> Lethal says, you found Jimmy Snooker? <laughs> just brilliant and Bischoff of course says no 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 it's you and sends him out to be the main event which of course as you alluded to earlier on Raw is not the main event no <laughs> it is however Jay Lethal taking on Beer Money in a two on one handicap match Beer Money start a pretty decent two-on-one beatdown, including a huge double backdrop and throwing him into the stairs, a double suplex, and then a double-team sort of swinging rock-bottom type move uh, before Storm goes for a beer, allowing Jay Lethal to sneak a roll-up on Rude and pick up the one, two, three, and he does every single Macho Man mannerism on the way out, 10 on 10. <laughs> I mean, it was a decent beatdown by Beer Money, but the ending just made them look really stupid. Yeah. Like the the shot post match of Bischoff literally face palming in his office pretty aptly describes how Beer Money came across here. Absolutely. There's a great bit where you know Beer Money do their double suplex and then they go Beer Money. Yep. Well, when they did that this time, they went Beer Money, and then the crowd goes sucks. <laughs> fabulous. That's good stuff. We then get a recap of the Hernandez-Matt Morgan angle, and we're told Hernandez is going to be out for several months, and next week we'll get to speak to Matt Morgan about the incident. So some good follow-up there, and I'm very interested to hear what Matt Morgan has to say. Yeah, for sure. 
And this time we really do get Desmond uh, Wolf up against Pope D'Angelo De Niro. Desmond comes out and jumps the Pope, puts on an arm triangle before the Pope comes back with a hammerlock. Uh, Desmond goes onto the leg and some European uppercuts. The Pope fires back with some chops, an inverted atomic drop and a shoulder block. A Fez Prez and then a big uppercut palm strike before hitting a bouncing Vader bomb into an elbow drop, which was actually pretty cool. We get Chelsea distracting Earl Hebner, allowing Desmond to hit a punch with the chain and the one, two, three in a little bit of a shock victory because the Pope's supposedly heading the main event status and this one didn't really do much for him. No, um, I thought, to be fair, Pope had some dodgy selling at points in this match. Like he did a shoulder block with his injured shoulder and things like that. And yeah, it was the wrong result. But there's some interesting action here. Yeah, it was decent. These guys have got good chemistry, if nothing else. Yeah. And we then go to a commercial break, and when we come back, the cage is up. I um I lost a few seconds on the video I was watching it on here, so I'm not sure if anything of note happened there, but it doesn't seem to have been for too long. Um Kurt Angle comes out and is talking about lockdown. He cuts a really good intense promo before Ken Anderson comes out uh in a wearing did you see his T-shirt there? It's um, Pro Wrestling Is Real, the T-shirt reads. Yeah, and on the back, it says people are fake. Oh, yeah, very cool. I didn't mind that. Yeah, so that's his big like bit of merch when he was during his CNA run. Yeah, I'd have, I'd have worn that. Um, he tells us that a little birdie, Eric Bischoff, has told him that next week they will be taking each other on in a ladder match, and it's for a key to the lockdown cage. So that's a bit of a weird excuse to get a ladder match on the show, but I'm looking forward to it anyway. Well, it's kind of convoluted because so Anderson's going on about in his promo here that, oh, they're 50-50, which is why they're going into this cage match. So if you have one more match before the cage match, then you're not going to be 50-50 neck and neck anymore. Yep, so two and two it'll be. They'll just have to keep going in even numbers until someone wins them both. Mm. The thing that got me about this was Kurt was going on about how after Destination X, some were saying that Anderson is just as good as me. (laughs) No, they were not. (laughs) (laughs) He fucking bodied Anderson, at the end of that match, busted him open, made him submit and all kinds of stuff. Yeah, no, his TNA run has been a disaster so far. (laughs) In Anderson's words, he said, this feud has to stop and I can only agree. Yes, please. (laughs) He tells us that nice guys finish last and he receives a very long, prolonged arsehole chant from the crowd. Pretty much like his promo, really. Long and prolonged, like... Just felt like he spent a hundred words explaining something he did he could explain in like twenty. Pretty much, which is the story of his TNA career so far. I think so, yeah. We then go to our true main event, which is the band up against EY, RVD, and Jeff Hardy in the six man steel cage match. Before the competitors can get into the cage, we have a bit of a brawl on the ramp, and then they all get locked in the cage without EY, allowing the three heels to put a bit of a beat down on RVD and Jeff Hardy. Before they manage to fight back, RVD with some kicks, Jeff Hardy fights back as well, and we get a powerbomb powerbomb into a rolling thunder. So Jeff Hardy powerbombs, and RVD hits a rolling thunder, then a poetry in motion, RVD hits a neckbreaker and EY manages to climb back into the cage to help. 
The three faces all go up to the top rope. We get a swanton bomb, a frog splash, and EY comes off with a top rope elbow to X-Pac to pick up the one, two, three, four, the faces in not really much of a six-man steel cage match, if I'm being honest. Well, I mean, I could tell when all of the face team were getting individual entrances that this was not going to go long at all. Surprise, surprise, it didn't. Um, it was interesting to me, they rang the bell when they were brawling on the ramp. Yeah. How do you officially start a steel cage match when, like, nobody's in the cage? Yeah, this was not n- nothing to write home about. I didn't, I didn't really enjoy this. It was, this just wasn't long enough, wasn't enough time in the cage, and no drama really to it at all. No, I mean, I've got to give EY credit for that finish, that big elbow drop off the cage. Yeah. That was something else. Um, RVD and Jeff had... A bit of nice teamwork, but it was a nothing brawl for the most part. Although I will say, Jeff and Van Damme really buggered up their ring positioning for the finish. Like, when Jeff did the swanton, Nash took it right on his face. It was really ugly. Yeah, don't imagine he was too keen on that. No. We then go to Christy Hemi with Abyss, who reveals his first partner in the Lethal Lockdown match will be Jeff Jarrett, and cuts a bit of a promo on Ric Flair and Eric Bischoff. And that's how we end Impact. So a bit of a weird, I don't know. I, I didn't really, I, I don't think much of a business baby face promos personally. What do you think? No, it's just pretty functional, really. It's a very smart move in kayfabe to have Jarrett on your Lethal Lockdown team. All of his experiences in that cage. So it, it, it made sense. It fit the storyline. It's like, again, it's just like functional. It just existed to me. Exactly. What about your overall thoughts on Impact? Quite nice, really. Yeah, um, way better in the ring than Raw. Low points, perhaps a tiny bit lower than Raw's, but that Jarrett and AJ match and the tag match was solid stuff, really, so I enjoyed it. All right. I'm pretty well in agreement with you there. I thought this was one of the better Impacts we've watched since we started doing this, personally. Mm. All right, should we go down and see if it's enough to topple Raw then? Tell the truth. Funny story. I've always, always been able to do this Macho Man impression only because I idolize him and Ric Flair. So I've always been able to do this Macho Man impression, and I would do it anytime I got a chance. In the locker room, if I got too quiet, I'd bust it out, or right before we started a pre-tape, or if I was doing anything with Jeremy Borash, before the cameras start rolling, I'd bust out some Macho Man. Uh, It wasn't until Kevin Nash came on board with TNA, and he heard it for the first time and went ballistic. As a matter of fact, uh, I don't know if you remember, but Kevin Nash, we all filmed this thing called the Paparazzi Idol. Yes which was us, our big imitation on American Idol, and just making fun of any and everything we could. As a matter of fact, whenever we'd film it, they, there was no script. They told it, they didn't tell us what they wanted. They just said, they sat the camera up, hit record, and said, go, go ahead and do it. And Nash would normally start leading. He'd say one or two jokes, and then we'd all start joking. And then it turned into this real weird but fun thing. And it was amazing television. I mean, I thought it was amazing television. It was probably the most fun I've ever had in wrestling in general. But he heard me do the Macho Man impression. 
and uh, because we were doing the paparazzi idol, he was like, "You should do it. You should do it when they start rolling the cameras." And I, oh, no, no, I don't, I don't think so. As a matter of fact, one time the cameras were rolling and he told me to do it. I did it uh, maybe for like three or four seconds, but the the big one was uh, he did the whole uh, like he was Randy and it was Paul Abdul was so Calval, and he got me to do it there for I did it for at least thirty seconds. After that, I couldn't stop. But Kevin Nash, he's the reason. The real reason why I did it, and I've always heard these stories about the Macho Man is crazy, and he lived in Florida. So the last thing I want to do was do this imitation, and he gets all pissed and tries to show up at the front door. <laughs> the next time we know, we got a walkie-talkie saying Savage is at the front gate trying to get in. That's the last thing I wanted. But Nash convinced me that it would it wouldn't be anything making fun of him. It'd be like you paying tribute to him. And how could he get upset if you're keeping his name out there? So that's another reason why I did it. But it was all Kevin Nash's idea. Well, have you ever? Yeah, let's take a look. All right. So, who did you have as the winner on the night for storyline advancement? Um, I went with Impact here. Like, there was just a lot more going on in general, and like outside of them, uh, uh like putting the hearts in the tag team scene, and uh, like again reaffirming Randy Orton's babyface push. Like, Raj kind of felt like it was in a bit of a bubble, really. Like, they can't properly move on from WrestleMania. Yeah, I tend to agree with you on that. I think um, it didn't really... You know, there's a lot of stuff that just is going to be forgotten by by the next next show, basically, when it came to Raw. The Divas tag, the whole number one contender situation with the Divas, the, um, the Ted DiBiase and Christian match. None of that's going to be remembered a week from, from it happening. So I, I do agree there. <coughs> I thought TNA did a good job of advancing its storylines and definitely got the win, but I do still think the whole um, Pope D'Angelo De Niro number one contender thing is still not really too clear, and that's one knock I would have on them for their storyline advancement. Yeah, so, well, I mean, let's say it now. So does that feel like the headline mark should lock down to you? No, not at all. Mm. What about characters on the show? Who Who do you feel gave the best accounting of the characters they had available to them? Uh, ooh, this is a little bit tougher for me. Um, I think I'm going to go with a tie here. Like, Impact had a much greater range of names, but it was all, like, in the ring. So it was, like, little in terms of character, not quite as much in terms of character progression, whereas Raw... Batista and The Miz were really, really good. And, um, yeah, there might be a little bit of a character touch with uh, Ted DiBiase as well. Yeah, I think you're probably not far off the money there. I couldn't split this one either, and I'd gone to tie as well. Um, I think Raw probably did more with its main characters and got more out of them, but TNA certainly got more guys on the show and, you know, got more of the big names on. So it's, it's a pretty close one, that one. Um Mm. Production value, as always, I went with Raw. What did, what did you think on that one? Raw, 100%. I mean, TNA isn't really doing anything all that wrong at this point, but WWE just on another level, as they always are. Yeah, I thought the timing and the splicing of the Shawn Michaels video packages was an was was a definite highlight of their production on the night as well. They were very smooth and very good. Um, what about Crowd Heat? Who did you go with here? Um, Raw. 
Yeah, I mean, the the fans in the Impact Zone were quite excitable, but it doesn't beat like 16,000, I don't think. Yeah, I think I went with Raw just for the Shawn Michaels segment, the way, and well, somewhat for the Bret Hart promo as well, but that crowd, when they had something they were invested in, it was, you know, night and day, really, wasn't it? Yeah. Now, I went with Impact for match quality. I'm I'm going to guess you did the same. What are, you, what are your thoughts on that? Absolutely, yeah. The AJ and Jeff Jarrett match is the best thing between the two shows. And, like, even Impact's middling stuff, like the tag match and the first blood match, was of the same quality the best Raw had to offer, which I thought was the, the, Miz, the show Miz and the Hearts tag match. Yep, I agree with all of that. Um, the Jeff Jarrett AJ Styles match is something I'd watch again and in longer form as well if I got the chance. So that was quite good. Mm, yeah. Which gives us a dead tie: four wins for Impact, four wins for Raw, and two ties. So it doesn't happen very often. But the night after WrestleMania has been matched with a very lowly ranking episode of Impact. Oh wow! Yeah. Oh so, yeah, I couldn't. I guess the. I don't know, like, I, I genuinely enjoyed both, but for completely different reasons. I enjoyed Raw for nostalgia purposes, but I enjoyed Impact because it was actually a pretty good show. Yeah, I'd say I enjoyed Impact quite a bit more than Raw, to be honest. Yeah, well, I guess that's where match quality and, and storyline are sort of the two that really quite often make up your enjoyment of the show. So, yeah, definitely, I think Impact is probably the better watch, but, yeah... Um, Raw does enough as usual to hang about, and you know the ratings don't decline too much in the next few weeks. I don't think, but they're certainly heading in that direction. Unfortunately, yeah, we'll see how that eight Eastern start time helps them out or not. So you look ahead far more than I do. How many episodes of Impact stay on Monday night from here forward? Um, well, I think they, they make it into May. I don't know how far into May they make it, but it is. Possibly only one week into May. So I think we've got either five or six more episodes and another pay-per-view. Okay. So we've still got a little little while here then. So we're not in any desperate hurry to think of something else to do for now then. No, but I have been thinking about what would make a good uh, bookend for this timeline. And there's a, a few options. So when we're closer to the time, I'll put something up for the fans and they can pick one for us. Fantastic. But yeah, I have to say, like, I will probably put this out there that this was the easiest two shows we've watched so far for me. I, th- I thought, you know, Raw wasn't great, but it was okay. And Impact was genuinely decent. So for me, this was one of the easiest watches. I watched both shows over the space of three nights, which for me is rather unusual, especially considering I had to watch Impact on my laptop. Um, but yeah, I quite enjoyed this week. So hopefully more of the same. Oh, yeah, I mean, Raw, I'll say this about Raw, it doesn't feel like it's excelling in any particular sense, but I managed to fit my notes for it onto two sides of paper, which is quite unusual for a near two-hour show, so it's fine with me. Yeah. I say it's easy watch. Yeah, absolutely. So good stuff all around. Um, Now, you guys just released your end-of-year episode yesterday or the day before, was it, right? We did on New Year's Day, yes. We went back and looked at everything we enjoyed from 2017 and some of the things we hoped for the future as well. And yeah, go check it out. That will be my weekend's listening. I did actually try and listen to it yesterday, I think. And for some reason, I, I absolutely hate my iPhone. It's just it, one of the last updates I did have changed how podcasts are. And it's not just labeled in order of when you started listening to them anymore. It's all like... 
it just picks what it's going to put on your page and you have to go searching for other stuff. And anyway, I, I knew your show had come out, so I went and found it and it just wouldn't play. And I'm like, okay, maybe like I was in my car, you know, about to set off. I thought, oh, maybe it's not downloaded. I'll just listen to something else until I get home and no podcast would play. So I'm like, oh, I give up. <laughs> uh, <I'm, coughs> most of my podcast listening is through SoundCloud and the app. But like even like recently, it takes a suspiciously long time to start playing stuff. Now. Yeah, so that will be my week's listening. I encourage everybody else to listen to that if you haven't done so by the time this drops, which will probably be this weekend, I would imagine. Um, thank you all for listening. Um, I've as well as this show coming up, I've got a show coming up in a couple of weeks with Richie where we're going to look at both of our first ever pay-per-views. So mine was SummerSlam 88, as we've talked about today. His was In Your House Degeneration X. So a couple of good shows to look at there. And also I will be appearing, I'm going to be recording this weekend on the Raw Attitude podcast. Um, and I don't know when that will release, but check out for that as well. And hopefully you'll hear me on there too. Good stuff. As always, follow us both on Twitter. Give us five-star reviews on iTunes. And thank you all very much for listening. Yeah, cheers, guys. Cheers, Sammy, again, Lee. Anytime, mate. Thank you.